The Joyful Friar podcast is made possible by the generous support of our friends. To support the podcast, please visit nathan-castle.com and donate today. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Joyful Friar podcast. I'm Father Nathan Castle, your host, and I'm happy to introduce you to a new friend today. If you're familiar with the ministry that I've been invited into over these years, people come to me in the night showing me uh, a sudden death, usually a violent one. Today's wasn't violent, it was sudden, uh, but these people are... Um, moving through a level of the afterlife. Catholics would call it purgatory. That's a, like a word that we probably are the only ones that use. But anyway, a therapeutic level for people who need some um, special care as they move from this life into uh, the, the eternal life, uh, the rest of their life. The story that I want to tell you today is in my newest book, it looks like the one that's over my shoulder. They're all, we've kept the same graphics for all of them, but this one has a big three in the middle of it because it's Afterlife Interrupted Book Three. And the uh, the way that we went about this one was we wanted it to include stories that we thought were particularly explanatory. So the subtitle of this book is Please Let Me Explain. The 13 stories who uh, of persons who were in this book, we felt like something they said along the way about their process or uh, something just made us go, wow, I never thought of that. But I think that's one of the most delightful parts of this work and why I um make it public as i do i believe that the easter morning message of the one that you saw horrifically publicly murdered on good friday is back and better than ever and wants to see you uh, that's a really joyful message and i believe that the the work that we've been doing over the years my prayer partners and i it's really joyful. And why wouldn't we share it with the world? Well, today, the story that we're going to share is in chapter eight of uh, the new book, book three. And it involves a man that I'm calling Samuel the Clothier. You ever use that word? Whenever I've seen the word clothier, it suggests uh, wealth or um, some kind of a, a elite I'm, I've bought men's clothes for years, and I don't know that I've ever been in a store that was a, a, a menswear store that had the word clothier in it. It just suggests that everything in it's going to be expensive. Uh, but Samuel, anyway, explains why that was his, his chosen vocation, his occupation in life, which I think was a vocation, a calling. But at the outset in the dream there was very little to it i i uh very often the dreams have more of a narrative going on in them and this one um i was standing talking with a well-dressed and well-groomed older gentleman suddenly he was stricken and fell to the ground and i heard the word clothier and i woke it's all there was to it so my prayer partners and I, as you know, 
perhaps you know we always pray protective prayer before we go into a session we invite uh, the presence of saint michael the archangel i pray in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit the christian understanding of the trinity in the godhead uh, i imagine being surrounded by them or even within them within the heart of god um I say imagine, which doesn't mean it's make-believe. It's just allowing into my consciousness a reality that we're always in the presence of God, and God is larger than us and always surrounding us. Uh, but making that a part of one's conscious awareness is important, I think, in, especially in this work. I always involve Michael the Archangel because in our tradition, he is uh, uh, grandly protective of all the children of God on the earth. Um, and... Then I invite St. Dominic, um, the patron of my Dominican religious order, Holy Mary and St. Joseph, uh, Rose of Lima. You, you might, if you read in, in any of my books, sometimes we include the prayer so that it's a reminder to the reader of how we do this. But I think of it as a holy huddle, like on a football field when they gather in a circle before the play, except it's more than just on one plane, like on a, a, a field. I imagine it being more of an orb being inside a a ball of light and uh, power and graciousness and love so that when we do this work, uh, we're unmolested by any spirits who might have um, unholy intentions toward us. Anyway, we did that. And then I generally uh, read the story to my prayer partners. We're usually doing that on a Zoom call as I'm doing this recording. And my prayer partners in, are in different places. We got used to doing that during the pandemic. And we go into prayer. We And then I read the little story as I just did for you. I was standing with a well-dressed and well-groomed older gentleman. Suddenly he was stricken and fell to the ground. I heard the word clothier and I awoke. Well, we do that. And then I try to just be still. I usually read it a second time after being still. And, and uh, if you're a praying person, uh, perhaps you have a practice similar to it. Uh, if you're a meditator, uh, if, if I'm a contemplative in a contemplative order, uh, just try to be more and more still so as to not listen so much to the noise in one's head, but uh, create a, or invite a deeper inner stillness. It doesn't take long. It's just a practice. And maybe even for people that are, are not e explicitly religious, uh, yoga might do that for them or, um, uh, some kind of uh, of meditation. Uh, some people go for walks to accomplish something like that. Anyway, uh, creating inner stillness, and, and I imagine it is kind of spaciousness inside my um, psyche, inside my consciousness. Uh, so that doesn't take long to do. It's just a matter of being still. And then once we're still, I very often will ask for the guardian angel of the person who is the... Uh, center of this story for a little clarity that's what i commonly do um uh this time we got a, a little bit of a surprise um uh it was my own guardian angel he, he goes by the name philip james i've known him all my life and uh, known his name for about 30 years i think um but i was um I was a little distracted that day and sometimes I'll get a little overworked and I'll feel like uh, I, I have trouble just doing one thing at a time because I'm sort of multitasking in my head in a way that's not really helpful. Anyway, um, 
he he uh, helped out that day to kind of get us started and then sl slid to the side. And then a guardian named Amos, A-M-O-S, um, spoke up and it explained that he was the one who, who guarded the soul that we would help today. Um, he died of what he said was a sudden jolt to what was a very ordered, syst systematic way of being. Um, and then... Uh, then we received the um, the person we were helping that day. the The dream, you know, I said that it that I was with an elderly gentleman who had a particularly uh, careful grooming, um, and I used the word portly to describe him. He didn't look. Um, well, there's un there's unkind words for being a, a little heavy. Uh, flabby, for example, well, portly in, in my vocabulary is one that has a kind of distinguished character to it, just describing a body type. And this man was older and portly and well-dressed and well-groomed. Um, he, he reminded me of Sebastian Cabot. Do you know that name? When I was a child growing up, he was uh, by then, you know, a, an older gentleman, middle-aged to older, I suppose. And, um, uh, he played parts of uh, butlers and um, and such. That's the way I remembered him anyway. Uh, this man rem reminded me of that category in my head. Anyway, the the uh, the person that we are uh, we're helping, he how did he put it? He 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 had such good command of the language and and kind of an elegant way of speaking. By way of an introduction, he told us. I was a homosexual at a time when it would have been a great disgrace for that to be known. I thought that was well put. Um, he said that when he was younger, he was called Sam or Sammy. But as he made his way into the world, and I suppose in his uh, middle to late adolescence, young adulthood, he was pretty sure that indeed he was homosexual and that that was just a fact of his existence. I liked the way he said, but I was determined to live a happy life. Isn't that a, a great way to put it? I hope that you're determined to have a happy life, regardless of circumstance, circumstances in it that might be beyond your control. He had already told us that uh, that someone like him could be despised, but he was determined to have a happy life. He looked around at things that he could possibly do, and he said, for good or ill, a man's physical appearance caught my attention. Again, I just liked his way with words. For good or ill, a man's physical appearance caught my attention. He decided to try to take that um, characteristic or attribute and uh, use it advantageously and at the service of other people, not in a lusty way, but in and by way of service. He said he hadn't been raised in wealth but once he was out in the world and was able to find his own way he said he made it his business to move in the direction of fine menswear and he found uh that to be a job that turned into a life's work i loved the way he described his work he he told us that um stockbrokers and lawyers were his bread and butter that there were certain people who who needed to have a very manicured uh, appearance 
and who had the budget for it or who made it a priority to have tailored clothes that were hand selected and uh, just right for their uh, bodies and their their physical appearance. Uh, but he said, but sometimes there would be an occasion where uh, a man might might be going to a wedding or getting married or maybe going to a job interview or for some reason had a, a reason to want to uh, look his very best and have professional assistance in uh, buying a suit of clothes. I love the way he spoke of uh, the way he went about his work. He said, when a new person came toward me, Sometimes they were ill at ease, especially if they've never been in such a store before or had another man help them select their clothing. Uh, he said, if you're going to want buy something off the rack, you didn't need to come to my store or, or, assist, or ask my help. But he said, I would always ask them at the outset, would you be willing to tell me something about your physical appearance that you think is attractive? Would you describe some attribute of you the way you look that you think is a good. Has anyone ever asked you that? Can you imagine that being a kind of an awkward question to answer? You know, what do you like about your physical appearance? Most of us are quick to have, you know, something about our the way we look that uh, we wish were different, or maybe we make go to some trouble to make look different. Uh, but he said, if he said, if they were willing to do that, I would have them first start there with what about your appearance do you think is already a good? Then he would ask, may I have your permission to give you my own assessment of the way you strike me, the way that you appear to me? And he, he said, usually they said yes to that. And he would say, for example, I noticed that you have piercing green eyes. Your eyes are an attribute I would want to build upon because they're already a good. You have piercing green eyes. So any shade of green that you have in your clothing will help people make better eye contact with you and you'll have better interactions, better conversations. Isn't that wise? Um, he said, um, I might say, for example, your face suggests warmth, that you have a, you have a, a warm, engaging smile. He said, now, warmth around the mouth and a smile um, suggests softness. So I wouldn't put something like wool or something scratchy or harsh next to your neck or in your upper body if I want people to, to uh, relate to the warmth of your smile. I would use other fabrics that maybe have a bit of a sheen or, or that are smoother, softer somehow than something uh, scratchy. So he would educate them about what he was choosing for them and and make sure they understood that what the choices he were making were specific to them and that he wanted them to feel great inside whatever clothing he set up he he said i was not a costumer i wasn't and we weren't um 
preparing someone to act in a play, I wanted whatever they wore to feel authentically them, but bolstering uh, the man's sense of self that might make him walk out of the store or into wherever he was going with his new set of clothes uh, with uh, confidence, which just means to have faith. That's what confidence means, to have faith in oneself. So I just, I, I love the way he spoke about the work that he did. Well, in his story, he spoke to us about his guardian angel, Amos, and how Amos didn't first present himself to Samuel as an angel with wings and perhaps a halo. He said, he presented himself to me upon my death as one of as someone who might've been a long-term loyal customer. And Samuel had told us that he had a number of those long-term clients who only came to him. And he said, sometimes they'd spend the better part of a day bringing in a lot of their clothing and saying, is this still in fashion? Should I get rid of this? Should I replace it with something else? Uh, he said he presented himself, my guardian presented himself to me as something like a long-term customer. And he allowed me to, and he, and he was in uh, in human form, which the angels can easily do. They want to. Um, but he said um, his guardian was, he was working with his guardian as he would with a client when his guardian said, would you allow me to show myself to you as I truly am. I'm going to repeat that. Would you allow me to show myself to you as I truly am? Have you ever done that with somebody? Maybe not in so many words, but it involves a vulnerability that might be showing that a, a relationship is moving from one level of engagement to something more intimate, or something more honest. Um, Anyway, would you allow me to show myself to you as I truly am? And Samuel said, well, of course I would. And so he said, then watch me carefully. And then uh, Samuel explained to us that his guardian, Amos, he, he used the word pirouette. He turned in a circle and he said, as he did, his human form morphed into nothing but brilliant light. And he said it was a light full of color and radiance and glory and beauty beyond anything that he had ever seen before. It wasn't long lasting. It was momentary. It just was making a turn. And he said, now, now take a good look me at me in this form as I, it's my native form as I truly am, but I'm going to turn myself back into the form that I was with you just a moment ago. So take one last good last look, and then I'm going to morph back into my prior form. Then his guardian said, what did you see? And he said something like, I saw magnificence. I saw beauty beyond any beauty that I've ever seen before. And he said, I lived my life around the creation of beauty and form and line and color. And I've just never seen anything as beautiful as what you just showed me. And then his guardian Amos took him in hand as though he were a, a customer in a clothing store and said, would you step over here before these mirrors? Have you been in any kind of clothing store or I think even a shoe store where they have um, three mirrors, one that's flat in front of you and two that are angled perhaps at like a 45 degree angle. 
and you, you you're wearing something different and you step into that space and you're able to see uh, peripherally more of you than you would normally ever see. Well, he, Amos, the angel invited Samuel to step into that space, that mirrored space and, and said, now I want you to do what I did. I want you to make a turn, a full turn, a full slow turn and watch what happens. And Samuel said he did as he was instructed. And as he turned, he also became a being of light, a different light because he's a different person and a different order of being. But he became, uh, he got to see himself as nothing but beauty, as the beautiful creation that God had made him to be. He had to look at himself and see himself as magnificent as a magnificent, beautiful creation of God. And then Amos said to him, uh, you know, he, he, it only was momentary. And then he turned back into the, his prior form, uh, more human looking or somehow embodied. I don't know. But Amos said to him, what did you see? And, I, and he said, I, I saw beauty and goodness beyond anything that I'd ever seen in myself before. And Amos said, do you believe that what you just saw was true? That you really are uh, beautiful and whole and glorious? And he said, well, of course I believe it. I just saw it. So uh, he went on to say that that having lived at, what did he call it? At a time and a place where had he, I was homosexual at a time when it would have been a great disgrace for that to be known. I don't think that's utterly gone away in the lives of a lot of homosexual persons today. It's changed during my lifetime. But um, but he said there were plenty of people who were, had they known more about me than I was willing to tell them, would have um, been happy to supply with, with more reasons uh, for which to um, loathe myself or to think badly of myself. He said, but I saw this vision and I, I, I knew its truth because I saw it. Well, I've included that story here because I don't think uh, having some sort of poor estimation of ourselves is unique to homosexual persons at all. I just wonder if, if anybody gets through this life without at some point uh, being maligned by other people for some physical characteristic or some other characteristic, made to feel lesser than or not good enough. And um, sometimes there's a, a characterization that you'll never amount to anything that has a kind of predictive quality about the future. Not only are you ugly, but you're always going to be, you're only going to get uglier or something like that. Um, he, uh, he just came out of it different. Uh, he, uh, Samuel just saw uh, the glory that God had built into him from uh, when he was conceived in his mother's womb. One, one thing, he uh, he objected to the phrase being in the closet because he said, uh, I was I was never a tennis racket or a pair of work boots. He said, I, was, I never allowed myself to think of myself as some object that was tucked away in storage in a closet. He said, 
I believe I had the same freedom that every other human person does to disclose those things about myself to those who might choose to disclose them. Um, uh, but in the end, he was just saying, um, I'm, I know that now that I am as beautiful as everybody else is because God made us all beautiful. So that's the essence of his story. When it came time for him to make the crossing that we facilitate, uh, a celebrity showed up, but that'll be for next time. That happens a lot. In fact, I was reading the Tucson paper this morning, and there was a, a picture of uh, uh, some of our local football players from the University of Arizona team visiting children in a hospital. They have, you know, a bit of fame by being by playing Division One ball and going, you know, wearing a, a logo and a uniform and going into a children's hospital. People with with uh, with some sort of uh, recognizability, some sort of fame, often do that to help somebody else feel better about themselves, that 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 they might feel lifted up, that somebody important came to see me. Well, uh, next time we'll go into who came for him and how that played out, but it, uh, I'm no longer, um, I don't know if I was ever shocked. <laughs> I, just, I just take all of this for the way it plays. Uh, I believe that God's universe is magnificently creative and sometimes just wildly so and, and beautiful and funny and all of that. But anyway, next time we'll go into uh, how how that next part of his story emerged. You know, in this trilogy today, is, I'm just telling this story as, and I'm wrapping that up. Next week, I will come back to this story, but we'll, uh, we'll do so by referring to um, uh, challenges that that might come up in this story Um I often get, after people have had a chance to take in a story, uh, they'll email me and they'll have some sort of um, question that it touches them, a kind of response to the story that's very often heartfelt. So next time we'll, we'll do that and then we'll go on to a spiritual practice that this uh, story might have uh, inspired. But for now... Um, uh, the, this this book from which this story came is book three. It's on Amazon. It's available so far in this paper version and in an e-reader version. We're almost finished making the audiobook version, uh, but it's not yet available. But watch for that if if uh, if you like taking in books uh, via audiobook. But for now, know that I'm praying for you, and I hope to be with you again next time. God bless you. Bye bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Joyful Friar. Please like, follow, and subscribe. You can visit me at nathan-castle.com. Send me a message by clicking the contact button. God bless.